Welcome to the Axe and Anvil podcast, a discussion of craft between blacksmith Jordan Goodwin and filmmaker Bo Schultz. Join us as we travel around to talk with skilled craftsmen and learn from their adventures. Welcome to episode one of the Axe and Anvil podcast. I am Bo Schultz, and this is Jordan Goodwin, the legendary blacksmith. Nothing legendary. Well, we're in your shop, and <laughs> we're starting a podcast. And, That's right. And uh, or at least we're trying to. So, as... and and we're hoping to to take this platform to go find the stories of other craftsmen, That's right. and figure out how on earth they got started, why are they doing what they're doing. So, primarily, this podcast is just one, just a part of our enterprise to tell the story of craft and craftsmanship right and as part of that one of the main things we're doing with the podcast is going around traveling to different people's shops hearing their stories and and uh, telling the story of craft through the stories of individual craftspeople Mm -hmm. so several months ago we had um ethan hardy come visit you had ethan hardy come visit from canada and in that visit we had to have a time to sit down and ask some questions, just have some general discussion about blacksmithing, and it ended up being becoming far more philosophical and getting into craft in general. Right. And we sat on that for a while and thought, there's something here that's really good here that we need to explore. Right. Um, and I'd always, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a long time, and uh, my wife has been very supportive in that. It's because I have a big mouth. I talk a lot <laughs> and I get very philosophical <laughs> on a regular basis. And so she and others have been telling me, you need to have a podcast. There's so many, so many amazing craftsmen that I know that um, are very famous and well-known within their own, their own specific craft, their own specific trade, whatever, you know, whether it's a chair maker or a blacksmith a knife maker, whatever. And some of them aren't that well-known, but they're still fabulous craftspeople, whether whether they do fabulous work or they're just fabulous people or both, and it's usually both. I'd like to see their stories um, more out in the popular, I, I don't know, more people hear their stories, I guess. And um, while obviously like this podcast, starting out as a brand new podcast, doesn't have any huge reach or following, Maybe someday it'll be modest. And um, so, yeah, we're just going to do our part to tell the story of craft, tell the stories of these craftspeople, and... um, Contribute to the community of craft. Right, right. And connect people Mm -hmm. through the stories. Mm -hmm. So, what is a filmmaker and a very technically challenged blacksmith doing sitting down like how did we how did we start a podcast and it's 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 a part of a bigger thing isn't it like um we've been we've known each other been friends for um or at least acquaintances right (laughs) for a very long time um and how long have you been making videos doing photography or um just all into all of that 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 thing that trade (laughs) well yeah, so I've I've been involved in um, 
in video filmmaking photography world um, since I was 15. So it's been 15 years that that I've been in it, uh, mostly on a part-time basis. And um, in 2019, I jumped off that that cliff of full-time work of doing doing stable jobs that did not involve creative work, and I jumped Pull, off that cliff. And, pulling the plug. Yes, <laughs> pulling, or pulling, pulling the plug of stability <laughs> and, uh, and draining it all um, in, in order to uh, go into this endeavor of, of uh, being, a, as they say, a creative professional these days, which is kind of a weird title, but, but a filmmaker. Self-employed. Yeah, someone who's self-employed, self an entrepreneur yeah. that is... Um, and, and what does most of your work um, consist of look like? Social media content producing, um, handling the, the production of documentaries, of, of um, whole series. Conferences. Things, things, things that never ended up af outside of post-production because someone else dropped the ball or whatever, but the production was done. The, one of the biggest things I did was a 25-episode was a um, documentary series wow. um, that took, oh, I don't know, a year and a half to do. Um, to, to shoot was, was, was very involved. And then, and then I was also editing it all. And then it just, it never got past like marketing and distribution, which was not my area. But I'd like to flip this a little bit differently in this, in this uh, conversation though. What, um, so you're, you're a blacksmith and how is it that you're a blacksmith. What bit you, what age were you in? Like what's the whole context of your upbringing that got you to this point? What are those highlights? Well, I think it all starts with just being, I'd like to say bitten by a love of history. Like that was the bug that bit me. But it happened at such an early age, I'm not even sure there was a point. It may, maybe it was always there. <laughs> But my dad was kind of a history buff, he is kind of a history buff, and um, and so, you know, at six, seven years old, I was running around in a coonskin cap playing Davy Crockett and, um, you know, hunting things and with my cap gun and whatever, and that's, that's really where it all started. And it got to the point, by the time I was 12, 13 years old, like, I was convinced I wanted to live, I went through a a stage where it was Alaska, but I wanted to live in a remote location and I wanted to have like kind of a historical homestead, farm, whatever. And by the time I was 15, that had crystallized a little more to the point where I was convinced I wanted to stay right here where I grew, where I grew up in Middle Tennessee and I wanted to have a, um, a homestead where I did just about everything like 1850s era, you know. And um, I had only vague ideas of what that was actually like, but but one of the things that that meant for me is um, I wanted to learn to do just about everything by hand, to make everything that I would personally use in life and homesteading. And um, blacksmithing being being kind of the the linchpin trade, the trade all other things are built on historically and really that all of civilization like modern civilizations built on the back of blacksmithing um, blacksmithing just I wanted the ability to make your own tools and hardware 
that you would use around a farm or whatever. Like that was, that was my, um, that was just one thing on a list, a long list of things that I wanted to be able to do. I wanted that in my toolbox. Um, little side note, like even 300 years ago, while there were plenty of farmers that were also mediocre blacksmiths, most farmers in most locations in colonial America didn't make all of their own stuff. Like, <laughs> their bla their, the full-time blacksmith that was their neighbor would make their stuff, you know. So anyway, but that's, that's neither here nor there. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And um, so when, it, when I got about, I guess, 18, um, I decided I was going to build my own house. I was going to build me a little cabin on the family farm and move out and have my own space to do my own stuff and whatever. And um, I wanted to build a log house. I wanted to build a log cabin and I, and I wanted to make all of the hardware for it. Not all the nails, but like all the hinges, all the latches. Like I just, that was, I was gonna have to do that. And um, so I was gonna have to learn some blacksmithing <laughs> in order to make all that hardware. <laughs> and, um, I had, uh, I guess I found an anvil about that same time. I bought an anvil, you know, found an anvil locally, real good deal, decent condition, and um, just bought it, didn't have it set up or anything like that. And I started buying other tools. My dad had a, my dad had an old um, rivet forge, small, small portable forge and a blower. And um, so I kind of started putting the tools together and and um, and then along came my uh, I, my relation the relationship with my to be wife my future wife began, and um, this whole house building thing got a lot more serious, <laughs> and so I launched into getting the materials together for this house and building the house and um, somewhere along the line I was like okay I've got to start working on the hardware. So I set up the forge and I tried blacksmithing for the first time about 10 years ago now, maybe not quite 10 years ago. And um, it was a miserable failure. Like I had no idea just how hard it was going to be to learn the basic skills to just make house hardware. I thought I was just going to go out and make, you know, a few tries and I'd be rocking and rolling, you know. and. Um, so that's kind of the long, the long version of the start <laughs> of my story. But from there, um, I pretty much abandoned it for a few years. And, um, but it was, it was still on, on my list of things that I wanted to do. I still haven't given up on, 10 years later, I still haven't given up on making the hardware for my house, but almost none of it's been made yet. <laughs> Here we are. We've been living in our house for eight years, and um, yeah, we're we're getting by with temporary doors and temporary hardware, and <laughs> and it's just it hasn't materialized. But um, about five years ago, um, I had been doing welding and fabrication for a few years, as that was my my home business, and. Um, that's what paid the bills. That's what we were, what I was doing to make a living. But I always wanted to do something more like historical hand tool oriented. And, um, 
some a friend encouraged me to just get my blacksmithing tools set up under a roof, like build a small shed, get the tools set up where I could start using them. And, and I did. And so I finally, um, I, I built a little fabricated forge and I finally just got going. And um, it was still sporadic, you know, sometimes I'd go a few months without forging or whatever, but um, I started forging on a more and more regular basis. And I started making um, small things to sell, hooks and nails and stuff like that. And I started uh, taking on an occasional custom job from here and there from friends. And it just got to the point where in 2019, the same year you went full-time with your um, filmmaking, photography stuff, um, I got to this point where I just could not, I guess this was late 2018, I got to this point where I could not um, do, like I could not grow the blacksmithing business and keep doing other things for income. And so I quit. I quit my fabrication business and I went full time into blacksmithing. And it's, um, it has, you know, so it started out as a, it started out as just a, a kind of a side interest and then a side hobby. And it just sucked me in and it took, and it, um, I've just gotten deeper and deeper invested in it, interested in it. And, um, and, uh, now it's, not only is it my full-time income, but it's like, it's just, it's a passion that just eats me alive at times. Just learning more about it, learning more about his blacksmithing and history and how it was done and how this was made and that was made. And there's also collecting the original things for reference. And <laughs> there's so many things about it that are just consuming. Completely. I mean, this is this here. Here's here's a contrasting story to your <laughs> growing up, running around the property with a coonskin hat and stuff, um, which I could totally see you doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember when I at I was I was five or six. Um, it was one summer. Uh, my dad, my older brother, and I we went to uh, this guy was a friend of my dad's. He had a uh, he had a large pond stocked with catfish. There was so much fish that this pond had it was it was no big deal for a five six-year-old to to catch 10 catfish in like not much time at all but of course everyone was like wow Bo caught 10 catfish and blood you know they're making this really big deal well once i got to 10 i remember thinking this is actually kind of boring <laughs> and i don't think like okay everybody's very interested in, okay great um I knew where my dad's camera bag was over on the other side of the pond and everyone seemed quite occupied and I just, I just go over to my dad's camera bag and in it is um, a, a Nikon 35 millimeter film SLR with a, you know, I, I'm trying to remember, I think it was a, a 35 millimeter F2 lens, whatever. I had never picked it up before and um, um, I was trying to take pictures of the fish that we had caught, and uh, you still have any of those pictures? I don't think we still have any <laughs> of those pictures. Um, but and I just I just didn't think anything of it. I just like I kind of got I ran out of a film, and I just put everything back in the bag, and I go back where everybody else was. So of course, weeks later, my dad develops the film. This was in this would have this would have been mid nineties, um, mid mid to late nineties. And um, 
So the, the, the film comes back several weeks later and my family's like, fish pictures. What are, what are these pictures? It's like, they're blurry. They're out of focus. What, what is this? And, and I was in the room. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, I took those. And everyone went from, wait, here's, here's a five, six year old. He, he caught 10 catfish to, you figured out how to use that camera. I was like, yeah, it wasn't that difficult. <laughs> you know, I remember I just, I just basically, my, my idea was turning every dial yeah. and pressing everything and eventually it will click. And, and I did that until I ran out of film and, but I got a bunch of, of photos and, um, and I remember, uh, May, I think I was 14. Um, I was, I was getting pretty serious, uh, and territorial about the family video camera and, we would help some friends of ours. They're trying to, they have a special event, surprise birthday party or something. We're trying to, you know, capture it on, on video for them. And there's this, this deep voice right next to me that's like, wow, you're getting pretty serious about this. And I, and I, I'm just like jump out of the way. And I had no idea I got in this guy's way just to get the shot. And he's like, are you going to be a film director one day? And I was like, that would be so cool, but I don't think I could ever do that. Like, I'd, like that's just too amazing for me to do. <laughs> and it was literally months later, we are, my, my dad upgraded our family computer to that next level that could now handle video and uh, it could edit video. And so I played around with video clips and realized <laughs> you, you can rearrange them to telling something and making it far more than the clips themselves. And, yeah. um, and so within a few weeks, I realized, one, this is super cool. Two, I love it. And then three, my parents were looking at it like, uh, you got something here. And, and so they were very encouraging about that. And, and weeks later, I, as a, as a 15 year old bought, I think it was like $1,300 for a piece of software the next editing software. It took me a year to figure out how to use it. I, I, was, I was bit <laughs> by the bug and, um, and it's never let me go. Um, so it's been a journey since then. And uh, we used to live, I think we met um, sometime in 2008 and uh, we were, and it was, it would have been right around the time or shortly after the time we were both kind of getting in, into our own uh, f finding something that we were interested in yeah. doing. And, uh, and we lived, I don't know, five, six hours away in Alabama and, uh, fast forward a few years and my family and I, we've moved up to, to Tennessee and now we only live about 40, 40 minutes of a beautiful scenic drive, uh, from your place. And somehow you figured out some way to get me to do videos for you. I'm still trying to figure out how, how yeah. I managed to pull that off. Right, but. right. Because <laughs> we're, we're not, this is not something that we're just going off making, making uh, money on. We're not charging people for, this, for any content that we're doing. You know, the, the, our, our biggest focus is the YouTube channel, the Axe and Anvil YouTube channel. We, I have my own problems with uh, distracting people intentionally. Um, with advertising, um, and so we we we're not going to we're not going to yeah it it does like there's something so much greater um, yeah. and I I I just have personally have a problem with that I don't judge those who choose to do that and that that's their livelihood and that's how they how they how they roll 
Um, but for me, I, I just, I have a problem with, yeah. with um, like, I'm going to make stuff and I'm going to make money indirectly by, by some third party company sticking their advertisements in your face while you're watching my videos. Right. And just so that I'll, I'll make a little bit off of what that other company is. It's just, it's all this very indirect, uh, there's, there, there's no relationships. There's, there's no nothing, uh, that's, that's going on with it. And so, um, so yeah, somehow you convinced me that we're going to be, uh, we're going to make something, uh, big one day, potentially, <laughs> maybe, maybe you didn't say that. Eventually. Uh, eventually. Eventually. <laughs> maybe it was epic. Maybe that's, that's the word that you used. We'll, we'll, we'll do yeah. something epic one day. Uh, and you know, here, here's a, this, this could be a really long journey. Are you in? Um, and yeah, I was and just I mean, basically like, uh, sure. And, and, and I mean, how that came about for me was just the deeper I got into blacksmithing and hand tool woodworking and other just, you know, hands on hand tool, historical trades or whatever, the more I learned, the more I'm just like, this is so amazing. And if I like it so much, and I know other people that do, then there will be more people that do. There are people out there just waiting to be introduced or taught a little bit more or encouraged in, um, you know, to pursue uh, learning about and hopefully doing some of these hands-on um, skills, trades, whatever you want to call them, themselves. And, and for me, like, you know, I want to see historical blacksmithing. This is not a dig on modern blacksmithing. Modern blacksmithing is great, and um, I have plenty of modern blacksmithing friends, and I love their work and all of that. And I like tool. I like machines, modern machines, almost as much as hand tools, but obviously not as much, or I would wouldn't be sticking to hand tools most of the time. But anyway, I digress. Um, but like, but the deeper I got into it, the more I loved it, and the more I just I want to get the word out. And I believe in in um, in the power of hands-on. Um, handiwork is an old term. Um, the power of it to um, not only be a, an influence in people's lives for good, that sounds you know kind of general and corny to the point of being corny, but, but also like in the usefulness of hand tools and, and some historic trades in creating a lifestyle a specific lifestyle that you might that a person might want I want for my own family for me and um, and, I, and I just think that there are lots of things from the past that while I would I don't want to live in the past I'm not trying to live in the past there are lots of things from the past that are worth keeping around that are worth keeping alive you know classic never goes out of style and that is, I believe, and believe that was my whole heart when it comes to um, working with your hands. Mm. And uh, so, anyway, I I see this. I see blacksmithing and hand tool woodworking and just all these all these um, lesser known, though granted, hopefully growing in in 
popularity um, nowadays as we see some somewhat of a revival in interest in them. Um, I see these things as being being very very valuable, and I guess it was around 2014, which was before I really seriously got into blacksmithing. I got an Instagram account. And once I got into Instagram... You're such um, a millennial. Yeah, I'm such a millennial. <laughs> um, we we're only like a year, two years yeah, apart. Yeah, a year and a half, two years something apart. Like something that. like that. Yeah. And uh, so we're, we're both solidly in the millennial camp. Yeah, I, I, think, I think I'm right, right around the median age. Of <laughs> the <laughs> so, but I, I got an Instagram account and I started finding all of these like hand tool woodworkers and people that make their living making hand tools, fancy, expensive hand tools for hand tool woodworkers. And, um, and I also started finding blacksmiths and stuff like that. But just all these amazing craftsmen and women, people that um, either have a super serious hobby that they're obviously passionate about, or they make their full-time living off of their serious hobby that they're passionate about, um, with their hands, working with their hands, making cool stuff with their hands, or and making cool things, cool tools for other people to make cool stuff with, mm-hmm. and um, and I just was blown away. This goes to show you, I, you know, I guess I grew up under a rock, but like I was just blown away by the numbers of these people, and it just really opened up to me. Um, it really validated my own interests in a lot of ways because I'm like, you know, yes, I'm weird and maybe a touch crazy, but I'm not as crazy as I thought. Like there are lots of other people that are the same kind of crazy. Like this, I'm right in thinking that this stuff um, appeals to a lot of people um, just on a natural level. You know, people, uh, men are made to work and God gave us hands to do, here's another really ancient term, curious work. Mm. To do intricate uh, things, to make beautiful things, to work with our hands and uh, make cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so as I, as I, you know, over the, over the next few years from that point, started, you know, consciously trying to work more towards um, getting into the more historic side of, of um, handwork and trying to figure out how to make a living doing that. Um, and again, it took me till 2019 to actually make the leap into making a living with my handwork. Um, I, just, I just got more and more convinced that um, there are other, lots of other people out there interested in this stuff on some level. And that and it and that need more exposure and like take any of the hand I call them hand trades whatever take any one of them individually like historic blacksmithing and in order for a specific trade or craft to stay alive be healthy and um, in some cases like revive. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that, you know, like, oh, this is dying, this is going away. And it's not, that's not untrue. I think, fortunately, I think we're, you know, we're kind of hitting a turnaround point and there's enough reviving interest in some of these things to keep them going. But in order to keep them going, like, they need to, they need to be, um, 
the world needs to see them more. There needs to be more people into getting into these these uh, trades and more people um, to understand them enough to want to buy things from makers, from blacksmiths, chair makers, whoever it is. And, um, and the only way to really um, expose, the, 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 I won't say the only way, but one of the best ways to expose these crafts to the world, expose people to them, is through content creation, if you will. Mm. You know, showing these things to people. And um, this is a little bit of a side note, but I think it, it bears mentioning. You know, it struck me at one point that um, the technology that we, that we have now, the communications technology that we have through the internet, um, has made it possible for us as craftsmen almost to come full circle um, in that 300 years ago, if you lived in rural colonial America, say, um, or even rural England or wherever, um, but if you lived in a rural area and you needed something made that you weren't either capable of making yourself or you um, didn't have the time or whatever, then you would go, you might walk into town or go to your neighbors or whatever. You'd go to the shop of the craftsman that's, that was able to do the work. And in order to commission him or her to, to make something for you, you would have to have personal interaction with them. And you would have a decent understanding, seeing as you live in a handmade world, mm. you'd have a decent understanding of the processes and you would see even more of them being in the person's shop, talking to them, going over the materials, going over what you wanted. Mm. Um, and the technology we have now, as I said, it's kind of brought us full circle and it's enabled us to, well, it's, I admit it's not, it's not a, a, a replacement for that personal interaction. Mm -hmm. Right, right. It's given us the ability to bring people into our shops and into our crafts virtually. Mm -hmm. Right. One, one way that I, that I would see that is that, you know, if, if this was 150 years ago, um, my uh, occupation would would look totally different. That filmmaking didn't exist. Um, you know, storytelling did. Yeah, storytelling story is the essence right, of filmmaking. Exactly. But you'd have to you'd have to tell stories a completely different way. Right. In order <laughs> in order to tell stories, and 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 it's and it's multifaceted in this kind of of work because it's it's storytelling, but it's also archiving, mm -hmm. and um, and it's and it's educating. Um, so it's 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 instructional, it's storytelling, and it's uh, and it, and it's and it's capturing something of history that future generations can look back upon. So it, so archiving in that sort of way. So 150 years ago, uh, before me would be the options of of making a book with photos and telling you or telling um, interviewing you uh, and trying to write up all of these. Um, inspirational stories laced with all sorts of educational material and how to do things. And so it'd be, it'd be a bit of writing, it'd be a bit of photography, um, it would be a bit of, of illustrating perhaps. And then there would, this, there would be this whole industry that we would have to get behind, or that would have to get behind us in order to publish a book um, that people can benefit from, or perhaps it's some sort of publication, some sort of regular publication. But um, but either way, 
we would be able to split that profit um, of selling that hard material uh, that people get to keep. So, but so it would now, take it would take a ton of effort oh, and yeah. a lot of success because at the end of the day, our slice mm -hmm. of the profits would be very very small because oh, we'd right. have to go through so many True. middle. There'd be so many middlemen, right? And <laughs> right. Between you'd have the me printer, the craftsman and the editor and, you, and the publisher, the, yeah, and, the author, or right, whatever, and, and the distributor and right and the, the bookstores, book <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but but look at looking how storytelling has evolved. Yeah. And advanced storytelling has been around for ever since life was breathed into mankind and um and it is so much a part of us and we we share knowledge, we share skills, we share trades, we share all of these things um through uh, yes, through personal contact but also through stories. And and so now we have the ability to, uh, to visually capture in two-dimensional ways at this point um, uh, what you're doing. And we also can capture audio of that. And so through that, when done well, we can, we can actually see a whole bunch of little nuances uh, and, and, and workflow processes that you're doing that were not able to be easily captured in previous mediums, or, or they just right. couldn't be. You just, well, you would only have to see it for yourself in order to, in order to try that out. Um, however, you, know, you, 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 you mentioned um, your um, fellow blacksmiths, bladesmiths, modern craftsmen that um, I'm kind of paraphrasing and putting words in your mouth, but... <laughs> um, but there was some sort of mention about the um, there's there's a popular culture of it. Um, I don't think you said that. I'm just putting words in your mouth now. But no, uh, that's okay. <laughs> Let's we'll, we'll run um, with it. So there's there is this um, yeah. It's it's very popular these days to be on on YouTube and to shoot oneself with their phone or their camera and tell the world what they're doing, showing it, and it's great. Yeah. But a lot of the things that get people excited and get that video to pop up on your sidebar so that YouTube recommends it for you is that there's something about it that's flashy and trendy that they're using to put in front of your face because riding that particular wave will get more advertising money in their pocket because they can put that advertisement on those particular waves that'll get it in front of more faces. And you know they're, they're trying to figure all this out too. And they're, right. they're, they're trying to make some businesses work so they can feed their families and, and, and keep things running. And I, and I get it. We don't have to buy books. We don't have to pay for books to be made. We can post a video on a platform we're not paying for. Out of our own, or at least not directly, right? Out of our own pocket, um, uh, we pay for it in other ways, such as our time and attention, and, and um, other things, arguably more valuable, right? But, <laughs> um, right, um, and and not exactly with our our permission, unless you want to pay more, right? <laughs> <laughs> to not be distracted. I find uh, in my work there are so many people that are interested in YouTubing and 
making content and storytelling, they're not really that good at it. Um, and they're just doing it because their friend's doing it or, or whatever. It's, it's almost like this peer pressure. They're getting, they're getting wrapped up into it in all this, this flashiness. And so, um, so I look at content, whether it was movie making or whether it was um, stuff put on TV, stuff that you saw from the 90s or the 80s or the early 2000s looks like it came from that time period. It's, it was trendy and flashy and hip and fresh at that time. How can I transcend that? Which I miserably fail constantly, but that is a, that is a goal that I'm trying to work towards. Uh, trying is to getting to that point of transcending that, that, that flash and that wave of trendiness. To tell stories mm -hmm. in such a way that transcends trend. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So in your, in your case, you're trying to, to go back to blacksmithing of a particular time period that you particularly enjoy. The, the whole history involving the 1800s and the late 1700s and just, you know, give or take uh, a few generations and, and half a century here or there or whatever. And, um, but you, you have a passion for that. And so we can look back on, on some really timeless techniques that are captured in books and, uh, and be able to recreate those things and put them into a completely new and evolved platform for people to see and to be hopefully bitten by the bug yeah. that gets them interested, truly interested and passionate about craft. Right. And of course, and we're talking whether... about blacksmithing right now, right. but we, we have a... We have a list of people that are not blacksmiths that we want to go talk to, talk to right. and interview, um, and it's it's craft in general. It's yeah. it's uh, it's this love of of doing things that last, right? And so that that as a as a filmmaker is someone who who enjoys um, that's this 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 side of, of craft. Um, you know, I'm trying to figure out how how can I. Um, how can I fight this battle? You know, there's, there's, there's a war with the noise of, of, of trendiness yeah. against the truth of timelessness. And so trying to figure out exactly what is that truth that is, uh, that's lasting. Because um, I do look at, uh, I know this is going to sound really bad and judgmental, but sorry, <laughs> not. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I think so much of trendiness is a perfect definition of vanity. It just doesn't last. Yeah. There's nothing to it. There's no truth in it. Sometimes there can be. Ideally, you get a giant wave of trendiness that, or that, ugh, let me back up. A giant <laughs> wave that trends that happens to have truth in it, a ton of truth in it. That would be amazing to figure out where that can meet because uh, that's when you can make some waves um, and not just waves but uh, um, progress but progress you can you can work with the tide not just the waves um, but uh, but yeah that that noise of trendiness and trying to cut through that with things that are truthful things that are um, that are gonna last a lot longer than really cool sparks in slow-mo <laughs> as much as we all love as it. As tempting as it is, <laughs> as tempting as it is to just 
capture beautiful shots, that's not what is always appropriate. Right. And it's, it's much harder to limit oneself and say, I'm not going to get these cool shots that are make, gonna make me look good because they have nothing to do with the story. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all that on YouTube that I'm that I, you know want to want to transcend and yeah. uh, and and bring some of these these uh, these techniques, blacksmithing techniques that have been around for thousands of years, and 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 storytelling techniques that are just truthful and that have been around for thousands of years, and make something that okay, we may not get that many views right now. That's okay. We're just gonna keep at it. And in 50 years from now, I really hope that people look at what we're doing and it's just as good and refreshing and exciting as it is for us right now. Yeah. Um, I don't think it is right now. I think we'll finally get to that point. <laughs> we're working on it. We're working on our, our own craft. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'd love to be able to transcend something um, that that is just noise. Yeah. So, sorry for the rant. <laughs> no, that's 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 awesome. It's good stuff. So how these two rants <laughs> come together, threads come together. You know, we uh, what was it? I guess it was about two years ago. A little over two years ago. Um, you know, I, in my, my thinking about how this, this amazing stuff that I'm learning about historical handwork and how awesome it is and how efficient it can be if you learn, put it, put the time in to actually learn the skills and all of that and uh, how rewarding it can be and how it can help, um, help you to build a rewarding lifestyle and all that, like, um, as, as I learn these things and I'm, I'm just learning that just really, really coming to the opinion that this needs to get out there. This needs to be put out there more. I felt like the stuff that I was learning about was worth, um, better storytelling than I could do myself and more, you know, um, more of it. I guess I approached you. I knew you were into video work. I approached you a couple of years ago and was like, you know, here, I'd like, I'd like to try hiring you to make me a few short videos here and there. I, I, I need these videos for my YouTube channel and um, to put on my website to show people how these little items that I make and sell are made and whatnot. And we did that and it was mm. fun and it was cool. And I was, I was hoping at the time that, you know, my business was growing enough I would have enough budget to do this on a more regular basis. And it didn't quite work out that way, but we had fun. We made a couple of good good short videos and you did amazing work showcasing that. A year went by and we went our different ways and we're doing different things and we're, we're both, I guess we got, we both got through the first year of being full time <laughs> right. in our <laughs> we survived <laughs> we survived our first year of being full time mm -hmm. and um, I kind of took a a step back from the idea of content creation. Mm -hmm. I've never wanted to do like just create content full time and nothing else. 
I've always wanted to be to focus heavily on, you know, the actual physical hands-on crafts, um, other than hands-on buttons. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and but I I kept um, running up against this problem of like, you know, I want to get to make more content around this, capture more of this, and get it out there. And I had so many, uh, so many people come to me, friends and acquaintances, and be like, "What you're doing is cool, you, but you need to, you need to like spend more time, get more of it out there." I had other people telling me, "You know, you need to be, you need to be thinking about content creation, man. You need, to, you know, you need to get this YouTube channel thing going, whatever." And I was like, "Yes, yes, yes, I want to, but there's just so much I can do. Right? There's so many hours in the day." I've got. To, I'm fe- trying to feed my family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it just came to a point where it's like, okay, I need to revisit this content creation side of things and see, you know, if this is truly as valuable as I think it is, then there is enough value there. It needs to be um, utilized, and um, it will be valuable enough to others. And like. It will it will sustain itself. There's there's um, if it's as valuable as I think it is, then it's valuable enough to sustain itself, to be profitable enough to sustain itself, and so that's where we came together, right? We um, we had this conversation. I wasn't even I wasn't even thinking about Bo, but um, you know we had this conversation about you know hey this is this is what I'm thinking with this, and I just I. I wonder if there's someone else out there that would that would see the value that I see in this, mm. in this, in these content opportunities, mm. and um, that that I could work with to figure out not only how to get the content out there, but how to make it profitable enough to sustain itself and to build build something to um, to capture the value here, mm. and um, and I got done pitching that to you without even having you in mind, and you're like, I'm in. <laughs> really? Are you serious? I didn't even realize that. <laughs> really? So um, I, I I thought you were well, trying to pitch I, it to me. I was I, <laughs> I was not trying to pitch it to you at first. I think what it was is you're like. Well, we should get together and talk. That's what it. That's what it was. Oh, so we got together okay. and talked. Oh, gotcha. And uh, and I was like, whoa, Bo's interested in this idea. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's too busy. He's too good for that. And um, so yeah, you pick it up from there. I had no idea that that's that's hilarious. I had no idea. No, that's that's interesting. Um, yeah, no, I. It's just kind of sort of the similar thing that I I was talking about earlier about the. Things that are, things that are good and wholesome and and, and timeless. timeless. Yeah, and you could see that. And and what you're doing, what you're going for, what you were aiming for, um, it's like I I I saw what you were doing, and saw what you were doing on Instagram and your whole lifestyle. I've known you well enough. It's like okay, I I know what he's going after, and I wholeheartedly agree with it. And yeah. it's like I may not want to live that way myself, but but. <laughs> But it's but there's so much truth and there's so much wholesomeness in it and there's 
there's so many opportunities, just slight rabbit trail here. There's so many opportunities when we're in the middle of a project um, and you're making something, you're forging something and something happens. I make a mistake, you make a mistake. Uh, well, let's be truthful, when you make a mistake, uh, <laughs> when I make a mistake, I'm gonna, <laughs> let's, we're gonna reshoot it. Um, but when you make a mistake, um, about half the time, we try to work with it and keep that in there because that happened, that was right. real. That was, it was truthful and honest to show that this part is a difficult step and it is really easy to get wrong. And, that, and that's perfectly fine. It is, um, it's so tempting to cut all of that out and to make a 20 hour project down into two minutes and amazing and do all this cool music and slow-mo shots and sparks and drone shots and, and just whatever noise <laughs> and, and it has nothing to do with the project. Yeah. And no one, but nobody learned anything. They just got, um, seduced by eye candy. Yeah. And, and that's it. And it's like, okay, well in 10 years time, it's not going to be worth anything. It, it might, it might get you several million views, maybe, um, in a short period of time, but there's, there's nothing about it that'll last. And so, um, yeah, so I, I definitely saw there was, there was such an honesty about your work and the way that you like to work that it's like, okay, yeah, I, I, I'm not anywhere near the skill level that I want to be, but I want to learn Neither and sharpen <laughs> my skill with you. Yeah. And, and I want to go on this journey and partner with you on this journey uh, as we figure out how on earth we're going to make this work and, and try to encourage other people and hopefully not, not make a wave, but that we can ride the tide yeah. and, and encourage a, a, a shift towards... Um, good, wholesome towards quality. things. Yeah, things turns, that will last. Quality, yeah. I mean, that's I, I, I just I, I think about that a lot. You know, just how, like, basically the one of the the common threads through just both of our thinking processes is the desire to make quality stuff that's going to last. Mm -hmm. We believe so strongly in the value of that that we want to show others how to do it too. Right. You know, and um, and for me, like, I think everybody would be better off. Pretty much everybody on the planet would be better off um, if they did a little bit more with their hands. Mm. You know, and you believe, here I am, I'm the one putting words in your mouth, but like, you believe everybody would be better off if there were more good, wholesome, quality stories to take in mm -hmm. and not and 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 if we were um if we were all like telling the good stories and taking in the good stories and not just the eye candy the fluff right you know um some super cool slow-mo sparks are awesome once in a while right but it's like sugar it's sweet and mm. it's um you know, and, and it has value, right? But it, it if that's all does. you, if if, if your does. if your diet is just that, right? When I when I drive off of the paved road <laughs> <laughs> to come to your house, I enter into. It feels like I am entering into another time, another space, and and it would be dishonest for me 
to try to avoid capturing the beauty of it. You have, um, you have a beautiful family. You have a house that you and, and, your, and, and your friends and family made. Um, you're, you're making a living in 2021 blacksmithing. Doing something that was obsolete a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are crazy. <laughs> and, um, and so, and, and it, needs, it needs special care in order to capture that correctly and appropriately. And, um, and, and it, it takes a lot of time to do it. Every video, whether it takes, whether the final video is three minutes or 30 minutes or somewhere in between, it usually, it, on average, it's, it's about 20 hours worth of work to put into it. And I really wish I could put more into some of them and really just fine tune some things. But um, there's a lot more life, a lot more to life than making content. Yeah. There's a lot more life to be lived out That's there it. than making content. So we're trying to live life and make content and capture stories and, and live life and continue and, yeah. and, 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 and be, be about good, good wholesome things. And that's, that's part of like why I wanted so badly for so long to find someone to work with to help me with the content was because I didn't want the content creation to so take over the story. It's part of the story, but for the content creation work to take over the story to the point where the story that we're trying to capture in the first place just is kind of overshadowed right. and disappears. So we have to, this has to work. It has to be profitable. Mm -hmm. It has to be profitable enough to, um, for it to sustain itself, for the effort to continue. Right. And, and, and let, let me, let me yeah. um, stop you right there. That perfectly sums up what profitability is yeah in a way it needs to sustain itself in order to keep going and it needs to produce more than itself in order to keep going and that's right. and we the first goal is sustainability point. and yeah. the second goal is growth yes if we can we can get to that point of sustainability then we're going to take it up to okay now we're going to be really ambitious and we're going to go after some projects that are um let's see how you say uh, epic? <laughs> <laughs> you you like that word a lot, um, but yeah, things things that are really epic that uh, that are not just going to be um, timeless and really amazing, but they are unique, yeah, original projects that no one else has done these things before. And uh, but yeah, it's going to take a long road before we can get there yeah uh and we've we've got to prove that that this this whole idea and this endeavor will actually work right so. we believe in it so much that the way we're trying to prove to the world that this can work is we're giving away most of the content for free yeah and patreon is just there um for people to give back right if they like what we're doing yep but you can see this episode on Patreon, not just hear it. We're trying to make Patreon worth it to, um, to those who are helping us. Right. We're, so you get 
early access, which I'm not exactly sure what early access is yet. It might, uh, but, but you'll but be, you be able to see, see this. You'll be able before to before the audio comes. You'll be able to see the the uh, YouTube videos before they hit YouTube. Uh, you'll be able to to be part of a community that gives us very direct feedback. We're hoping to mine this endeavor for a, for a lot more than just a podcast. We're getting um, we're getting audio. We're getting we're getting a video version of the podcast. While we're there, we realized uh, we needed to see where these people are working and their actual and environment making. and get a tour and like just seeing their world. And that is the ultimate behind the scenes. We're trying to go behind the scenes with Craftsman. Big time. And I'm excited to see, like, who can we get on the podcast? Who can we talk to? Mm. You know, we're going to start within a reasonable, we're going to stay within a reasonable driving distance. Right. <laughs> Starting right. out, you know, right. two or three hours yep. um, drive. Uh, try, try to stay within day trip distance. Yes. Um, for the time being. But that's a big area. I mean, mm. we live in Middle Tennessee. We're in the, we're in the, um, we're in God's country. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. We're in the middle. We're in the middle of an amazing part of the country. We are in paradise. And um, and there are a lot, there are a lot of amazing craftspeople yeah. within a day's drive, yeah. and um, days round trip, I should say. Yep. So anyway, this is episode one. The rest of the episodes will probably not be near as uh, long or nope. boring or any of that. But far more interesting than us. If you made it this far, <laughs> we appreciate you. Yep. And you, um, you the best. <laughs> and this is this goes without saying, but if you're expecting blacksmithing only on the podcast, it's gonna be disappointing because we are gonna. <laughs> Now, now that's not to say we're going to be interviewing filmmakers. No, <laughs> no. This no. is this is just this is the this is one of the few times you'll see me on this side of the lens. After that, I'm, I'm, I'm in my place. <laughs> I think you'll wind up on this side more than you than you think. Maybe if I was behind the lens right now, I'd I would be, I would be doing this. Okay. <laughs> This is time. It's time to end right now. Wrap it up. <laughs> it's time to wrap Cut it up. Cut it off. All right. So this is episode one of Accidental Podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to help us in this venture, support Accidental on Patreon, where you'll also get early access and exclusive content. Follow our journey on our website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Axe and Anvil. Thank you.